preeminence in our hearts. Amen. I say welcome everyone to the service this evening. It's good to be gathered again together. And I know I wasn't able to be at the last youth meeting and I regretted that. I missed out. But I heard it was a wonderful time in the house of the Lord. Welcome to all the visitors. God bless you again, Sister Hannah, visiting from the Far East. Amen. I wonder if we just take our Bibles together for a moment. The musicians will exercise their patience. Thank you, Brother Sam. That was wonderful. Enjoy the song service. I sure enjoyed that special, too. Sister Melody slipped out for a minute, but that was wonderful. Amen. He'll deliver me. We got a promise. He'll fight my battles for me. He'll deliver me. We don't got an awful lot to be worried about. Let's just turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. <clears throat> I was just looking for something in the scripture or in, uh, maybe something in the message. And my brother and I were on our way here and we were talking about some of these things. And I thought, well, these are the scriptures that just came to me right away. And so I'll just share some of them with you and maybe it'll be a blessing as we invite Brother John to come. I, Brother John's going to bring the message tonight, and I'm, we're looking forward to that. I know I sure am. I've been looking forward to tonight for a couple of weeks now. But uh, it says in first, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Amen. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you will be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Amen. That's a wonderful scripture to read. I will be your God, you will be my people. Amen. And he's not saying a man, or it's not writing Paul. Paul is the one maybe petting the words, but it says, saith the Lord Almighty, the I am, the one that delivered the children of Israel, the one that delivered Daniel, the one that fought David's battles, the one that delivered all the ones down through the Old Testament into the New Testament became Jesus Christ, walk, Jesus Christ walking in flesh. He says, I, the Lord Almighty, will be your father. You'll be my sons and daughters. I've got a purpose for you, and I've called you out, but he says there's something to do, and I believe it's the reason you're here tonight, because he says, separate yourselves. 
separate from them. And Brother Branham would say in the message, the Feast of the Trumpets, he'd say, according to Luke chapter 17, he says, which is, we know the scripture by heart, which is as it was in the days of Sodom. So will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Now he was reading the same Genesis that we read. Jesus was reading the same Genesis that we read today. We could quote the story over and over about Abraham, about Lot, about Sodom and Gomorrah, and we could talk about it for hours. But he says, Jesus was reading the same one, and Jesus says, in the, as it was in those days, it'll be exactly the same in these days. He says, notice that Sodom, what taken place, what was it in Sodom? He says, there was always three classes of people. There was Abraham, the elected. How y'all doing? You need to sit down for a bit. You're going to be sitting for a long time tonight. I just want to make that known. So we can stay standing. If you want to sit down, you can sit down. It's okay. I won't be offended. But there was three classes of people. One was Abraham. The elected, the called out. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 6 applies to, saying, I've called you out. You're my people. Separate yourselves. I'm not talking to just anyone. I'm talking to the seed of Abraham. I'm talking to the one that are Abraham's children, that Abraham says he's the father of the faith. Now who's taken up that faith? It's us today. And it says this. It says there's another class. He says that was Abraham was outside of Sodom completely. There was Lot, the church member, a denominational man down there. He became part of that world. He was being, by being the mayor of the city, he sat in the gate. He was the judge, which is a mayor. So here's a man. He was a great man. He wasn't a nobody. He was a great man. He became the mayor of the city. He became somebody in Sodom. They look at him and say, that man knows something. But still, he was not the elected one of that day. The elected one was Abraham. But God came to Abraham, but he sent two other angels down to Sodom, and Lot was found, the denominational man down there, down in Sodom. Brother Brown talks about it in about 1958, and the message, look at the unseen. Looking at the unseen, he would talk about it and say, it's like today we got too many that are stuck under the trance of the snake. You ever, you ever heard about that? When you get looking in the eyes of a snake, it's not just a Disney story. You look at it as it begins to... to, to kind of hypnotize you, get you so you can't move, kind of paralyze you a little bit. That's the way the world is. Right. Kind of pulls you down to the point where it's got you hypnotized. It's got you under their control, under their influence, under their pull. That's what Lot was. He was, well, he was a good man, but he was still under that pull. He was still stuck down there in Sodom. But Brother Branham says, listen, but we're eagles. If you just flap your wings a couple times, you'd be right out of there and you'd shake yourself right out of the trance of the serpent. So that's why we're here tonight, to be like the called out ones, because we are the called out ones, we are the elect, we are the chosen, to set our wings on the winds of faith and say, I'm not of Babylon. I'm not of Sodom. I'm not staying down there. I'm here because God called me out here. God wanted me to live separate, to live different. So that's why I'm here at Young People's, not because I'm under the influence and asking when can this be over. I'm here because God called me here. And God wants to speak to me. And he says, there's another group altogether. He said, that's just Sodom itself. He says, but at the, evening, at the middle of the day, when Abraham was under the oak tree, three angels appeared to him. Two of them went down to Sodom, preached the gospel. 
tried to call them out. They wouldn't do it. They were perverted. Lot and his wife only, two of his daughters, started out, and the wife turned a pillar of salt. But the one that stayed and talked with Abraham, that Abraham called Elohim, the Almighty, the same one that said, I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters. I believe he's here tonight to speak to you, his children, his sons and daughters. Did you come to hear from Papa? From Father God and say, Lord, come speak to me. Amen. Amen. Why don't we sing that song together, Brother Sam, if you'd help me out with it. So we invite Brother John to come. I don't want to hold you. I know Brother John's got a lot of, we say, hay on his fork or food on his plate or however you want to say it. But we want to be just have our hearts open and receive. Why don't we sing that? My hope is in the Lord. I stand in awe within the presence. I stand in awe within the presence of the Lord, in whom the wisdom of the ages lies, in whom the raging of the sea subsides, the living sacrifice. From this time 
presence that's here Lord truly our hope is in you Lord it's in no one else there's nowhere else we could put our hope Lord there's nowhere else during these times that we could put our trust or our faith or any confidence but Lord there's one rock there's one place that we can put it and that's in the rock Jesus Christ Lord Lord we thank you for coming our way so far Lord we just want to invite you lay everything aside of the week and lay everything aside of our lives and say oh God you're the true God. You're the one God. You're the only God. I pray that you'd come and speak to me, oh God. I pray that we could invite you now, Lord. We want to welcome you, Lord. I just want to give myself to you. And Lord, I just give myself completely to you. I pray that you could use me, Lord. And if there's something that could be said that would help, Lord, I pray it'd be said, Lord. And we love you with all of our hearts. We commit ourselves now in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you to all the singing. God bless you. We appreciate the music and Sister Melody for the special. That was good. Truly, he will deliver us. He's our champion. He's our deliverer. And I think it fits right in with the, the thought that we'd like to go into a little bit tonight. If you'd want to turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5 and then after that in Daniel. And I have perhaps a an odd thought or an odd title that I've been thinking about for a while. And, and my title tonight is Free in Babylon. Free in Babylon. And I, I sure appreciated, appreciated what Brother Andrew brought before, how we're, we're not of this world. We're not of Sodom. We're not of Babylon. And we want to go into what that means a little bit tonight. We want to go a little bit into what that means to be free in Babylon. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Right. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished of your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, it's not fun being in Babylon all the time, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, our brother, unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. Now, this is Peter. He, didn't, he, he would live a double life a little bit in terms of sometimes he'd work act this way in front of the Jews and this way in front of the Gentiles. And, and he at first didn't even want to go to the Gentiles. So I find this striking that there was actually in the New Testament a church at Babylon. They were believers now in that place that the Israelites had been carried captive to and it was a bad, evil place. But there was people in the New Testament that were here. It says, to the, to, to the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you. They were living maybe at Satan's seat but they were the church and they were the bride of that day. Saluteth you and so doth Marcus my son. Daniel chapter one. Daniel chapter one, verse three we'll start at. And a very familiar scripture. I'm sure it's been taken in many a youth service. Daniel chapter one, verse three. And the king, this is Nebuchadnezzar, spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel 
And today that's you and that's me. And of the king's seed and of the princes. And he begins to describe the type of children that he wanted. Children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And in verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor of the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. God bless you. You can have your seats. I want to welcome everyone here. Welcome, Welcome all the visitors that are here. Welcome Hannah from the Far East. And her friend, Brooke, I trust you feel welcome tonight. And I think there's one other person. I don't know if we've properly welcomed the young peoples yet, but Brother Mike's sister, Sister Judy, I trust you feel welcome. I know you've been here a few services, but welcome. It's good to have you here. And all that we're able to be a part of young peoples. I'm going to be honest right off the bat. I don't know exactly how this service will go. I've thought about this thought for a number of weeks now. This title has been in my mind for a number of weeks now. And at about 11 o'clock last night, I don't know what I did, and I lost the whole sermon note that I had was just gone and unrecoverable. So I'm trusting there's thoughts that have come, there's thoughts that have recome, and some of it I was able to maybe save, but I trust that God will speak something to you free in Babylon. Truly, we were called to live free, no matter the circumstance that we're in, no matter the situation that we're in, no matter the trial that we're in, no matter what the devil thinks that he can put on us, no matter what anyone else before us and our family or whatever has done, we're supposed to live free. God has called us to live not just free, but totally free. Jesus paid that for us. Now, Israel had sinned. If you follow the history of the children of Israel, they had sinned. And they, had, and they had been sin, sinning for quite a while, and it got to a place where God had to punish them because what you reap is what you sow. And they had been, reap, they had been sowing for a long time, and now they had to reap. And, and, and God had begun to send prophets that would say that you're going to be taken captive. You're going to go to Babylon. You're going to be taken to a place that you don't want to be. You're going to be go, taken to a place that's not your own, that's not a, a part of your inheritance. You're going to be taken somewhere else, and you're going to be their captives. You're going to be their slaves for 70 years. It was not a great place to be. It was not a great place to be a captive. And it was a place called Babylon. It was a place that was interesting and also very enticing. And we'll want to look at that a little bit. But today I want to say this. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Israel, the Israelites sinned and had to go there. But we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And so by default, we're born into a world that's just like Babylon was then. We're born in Babylon today. And what do you mean by that? Well, follow me for a while, and I think you'll start to catch a picture of what I mean and how real the Babylon of that day, that historical city. I, I think sometimes we think that, the, that when we imagine the history of the children of Israel, we imagine a whole lot of dust and desert and not really real people that had real feelings and real friends and real family. And if we imagine Babylon, we think of a whole bunch of mud and bricks and brown, and we forget that it was a real beautiful city with hanging gardens and the gate of Ishtar, and, and the god Marduk that they would serve, and all of these things that were exciting and enticing, and real smart people that lived there. 
They were smart people that lived there. It was a to- when we think of the children of Israel and the Amalekites that they fought and the Amorites that they fought and the Philistines that we thought, we think of them as um, crazy people over there that we have to conquer, and we didn't think of them as, no, they were, to the Israelites, they looked kind of neat. They didn't always want to overcome them because they knew that guy over there or that, that culture, that look, that feel, that something that they have over there in that enemy's camp. It wasn't that they just looked like barbarians, but there was something attractive about the world. There was something attractive about their enemy. There was something that was enticing about their enemy. It didn't just make it easy to cut it off and kill it. And such was Babylon. And such was Babylon. Now, if we could go to Daniel chapter 1 and just spend some time in that that first little story. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 3, it says, And the king, and this is Nebuchadnezzar, this history bears out, I think it, this would have been maybe Nebuchadnezzar II or Nebuchadnezzar, whatever they said, Nebuchadnezzar, when I was looking it up. However they pronounced it, history knows this man. He was a great man. He put Babylon on the map that had never been on the map before or after that time, was this man that Daniel served under. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. So Israel is now a captive, and now he's looking. I want, I want new wise men to raise up and train up and take to my colleges and take to my whatever, and I want them to serve me and be my wise men. And he looked for a certain type of people. In verse 4, it says, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, and skillful. I trust we can put ourselves in this verse, having, being raised as, as, as people with good parents in many cases and being raised in the message, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace. Not everyone did, but these children did. And whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans or the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat. And of the wine which he drank, and here was their first challenge, their first battle of Babylon, so nourishing them three years that they at the end might thereof stand before the king. So they had to go do a quick college degree for three years, and then they'd be ready to stand before the king. Now among them were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave them names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and of Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel, and this is the first thing I want to stop on, he purposed in his heart. No matter what place I've just been taken to against my will, he was maybe, I don't know if Brother Brandon would say somewhere around 12 years old, I'm looking for any nods on that, but somewhere around that, he wasn't an old man. He was a young person. He was younger than most of us. He purposed in his heart. It started from a place that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, this became a problem because that eunuch didn't. He, He said, this is good stuff. This is the best stuff. This is the king's table. What are you doing? And in verse 9, it says, Now Daniel had brought, and now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. I believe when we work our jobs and are in school, if we're serving God, there's times where there's trials and your boss doesn't like you for a purpose, but I believe many times God gives you favor with your people. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king. He says, We've got a problem. I fear my boss. 
I'm your boss, but I fear my boss. I fear my Lord the King who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. If you disobeyed the king of Babylon, your head was sometimes detached from the rest of you. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had sent over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let us give them pulse, which is vegetables to eat, and water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. And I think we'll, we'll leave the scripture there, but we'll look at the story. So here he is. Here's, Bab- here, here's, the, here's the four Hebrew children in Babylon. And they've been given, they've been just brought into this place. It's a beautiful place. And they've been right away given with some temptation. Something that they've been put in front of them to say, okay, it's your first day of whatever school it is or whatever it would be. But now, now the, one, of the, one of the people around you, one of the places around, one of the people around Daniel saying, here's, here's, what, here's how we do things. Here's how we live life. This is normal. This is what you're going to do too. But Daniel had purposed in his heart and said, I, I serve a living God, a real God. But there became a conversation to say, meat, <laughs> meat is better than vegetables, is what he was saying. Wine is better than your water. All of these things. I, I might agree with him on the meat is better than vegetables, but that's just maybe my own humanity. I don't know if I would want the pulse over the, the great steak. But there was something about it. Those were offered to idols. That, 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 that meat was offered to idols. That wine wasn't good to drink. And Daniel had purposed in his heart, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Brother Branham would say in the message, God talked to Moses. He would say, you know, God looked down and he seen he had a man down there he could trust. How many... God can trust us when he sends us out to walk. By the name of Daniel, he had three more, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He knew he could trust them. He told them not to, what the laws they must do when they were down there. And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. That's exactly. And then Brother Branham says, when you say you're going to do anything, going to accept your healing or going to accept the baptism of the Holy Ghost, That's when the devil flies on you with all four feet. Daniel had purposed in his heart before this, I'm not doing anything that would be against God's law. And then the devil heard that and said, okay, we'll try. We'll see what what you're made out of. When he got down there, he said what he was going to do, the king around and seen that there was an excellent spirit in Daniel. So he said, now you put them fellows over there and feed them. I guess the doctor had come along and said, now look, they need... Plenty of vitamins that you got to go get them some wine. And, and then Brother Branham starts to preach a little. Some hard, drink, some hard drinks and some fattening things, a whole lot of calories in it, a lot of meat, a lot of stuff. The king said, I'll feed them of my own table. But when it came to old Daniel, they met somebody there that loved the Lord. The secret to your freedom, living free in Babylon, is loving the king from where you come from more than you love any king from here. You fall in love with Jesus, all of the other things will drop off. That guy that come in the audience said, now looky here, here's a dish that the king sent down, said, just 
Just, how, just look how it looks. A great big gobbler full of whiskey setting on it. And the king wants to make you happy, so he's going to give you some of this now to keep you stimulated up. And he said, I won't drink it. He said, oh, I'm afraid for my life and yours. Now there's some pressure on him. No, he's making him feel guilty. You might, you might kill me. I said, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You give me pulse, give me vegetables for 10 days, then look me over, some lentils, some corn pone. Brother Bram keeps using the word corn pone in this message. I don't know what corn pone is, but maybe someone can help me with that. Or whatever you want to call it, just give me a little of it for 10 days and examine me against the rest of them. He says, I'm going to serve God. You judge the results. I'm going to put God in my, I think of when I, when I was in school and how there was moments where you could, you could I'll just say it the way I maybe did it sometimes, not every time perfectly, but you can, you can study and study and study and study and then miss a church service and miss a church service and study. Or you can study and study, go to church, study and study, go to church, and you actually gave your, your work, your life to God, and he takes care of you better than you can take care of yourself. Amen. I challenge you to try that. It's not all in what we can do. Our lives are not our own. Here was Daniel in his work environment, in his school environment, saying, this is what you got to do. And he says, no, I'm going to take this, and I'm going to trust God, and you prove me after 10 days. And we know what happened after 10 days. And there's moments where you might have to do schoolwork, or there's, there's different situations. I'm not saying that's the thing every time. But what I'm saying is look to God first. Put God first in everything and Brother Brandon will say, I'll show you someone that's successful despite anything the devil puts in front of them. Give me pulse for 10 days and examine me against the rest of them. Brother, I'd rather have a little bit and have a little bit and be in the kingdom of God and doing what God wants me to do than have a whole lot and be away from the kingdom of God. When they brought old Daniel up, dropping down, my his cheeks was rosy. He was just as round and as fat as he could be. Hallelujah. Say, I believe every time they set that little pause, Brother Branham says, I believe every time that set, they set that little pot of peas down before Daniel that God just reached over and got the vitamin bottle and poured the whole thing into them. He still got them in glory tonight if you will keep his commandments, do his will, follow after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and seek to serve God. Oh, I feel good, Brother Branham says. I'd rather live for God and have bread and water than live for the devil. And this was even hard for me to swallow for one second of it, just a part of it. I was reading it and chuckling a little. I'd rather live for God and have bread and water than live for the devil and have fried chicken and ice cream three times a day. We'll say, I don't want to serve the devil. Fried chicken and ice cream can sound good compared to water and bread. But no, I, I'm, I'm not. But... And have fried chicken and ice cream three times a day, wouldn't you? Sure. Listen, brother, don't desire the big things of this world, but be satisfied with what God gives you. The only thing to be is to be sure you're in the will of God. So Daniel began to live in the freedom that God had given him in the middle of Babylon. In the middle of everything around him, he was saying, I'm walking with God, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And where the Spirit of truth is, there's a, there's a freedom. Right. Now, I want to say, God has a place for every single young person here to walk in. A path for you to walk in, whether it's a career path, a life path, a school path. Sometimes we only see a couple steps ahead of us. 
Sometimes we can see a long ways ahead of us and begin to plan and understand what God wants. But many times it's you get the next step and you don't know what it is. But take that step. That's the step that God will bless. That's the step that God can move in. If God says, I want you to be baptized, get baptized. And God will move you into the next step. You say, God, I need freedom from this. I need to be sanctified. Take that step. Do what you can do to get into it yourself. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. And if you, if you walk in that step that God's put in front of you, he's walking and now he can move you forward and give you the next one and the next one. God has a purpose for everyone to walk in. And I want to say this, God has a purpose for a youth group. God believes in a good youth group. You know why I can say that? Because Daniel wasn't alone in Babylon. Meshach wasn't alone in Babylon. Neither was Shadrach or Abednego. They were put in a little group in Babylon. And they could feed off of each other. And they could rely on each other. And they could say, they could look at Daniel and say, if he can do it, I can do it. If he can purpose in his heart, I can purpose in my heart. If she can do it, Surely I can overcome too. God gave us something to feed off of. He gave us a strength to be with. Here, I thank the Lord for the group we have here. God bless you all for the walk that you have. God had put these young people together in Babylon for a reason. Now, in Daniel chapter 2, I wonder if we could turn to Daniel chapter 2. You know what? We're going to skip Daniel chapter 2. And we're going to go right to the city of Babylon. I'm sorry, I'm jumping around for a second. What happens in Daniel chapter 2 is Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a golden statue with a head of gold, the breastplate of silver, the, the, the legs of iron and, and the toes and all of that. And it was the progression of Babylon. Then it was taken over by the Medes and the Persians, then the Grecians, Alexander the Great, and then the Romans. And then it, it would go on today. And after that dream, and Daniel interprets it, Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon, sets up Daniel, a Christian of that day, to actually be over top of pretty much everything in Babylon. The, 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 the evil city, Babylon, the great king Nebuchadnezzar that history knows, and, 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 and Daniel was his chief of staff. And Daniel tapped the king and said, hey, can you hire my buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and can they take care of the other stuff? God had put him free in Babylon. But if he wouldn't have stood for God before, if he wouldn't have purposed in his heart from the beginning, God could have never trusted him in that spot later. But then he was truly not in any more bondage, even though he was in Babylon. Now, I've looked at a whole bunch of Babylon. I've looked at the history of Babylon, I've watched YouTube videos, we'll even get to watch a YouTube video in a few minutes, looking at what modern Babylon, the city, looks like. I wonder if we could load up that PowerPoint. Now, I, 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 this is, I, I struggle with even how to do this, but have grace with me as we just look at this for a couple of seconds. Babylon. The very first place that Babylon is mentioned, it was the word Babel is used. It was the short firm of Babylon. And in, in, in Genesis chapter 10, it says, and Cush, verse 8, it says, And Cush, 
who was, a, was a, one of the descendants of, of Ham, I believe, of Noah. Noah, Ham, and then Cush was either the son or grandson. Cush begat a guy named Nimrod. And Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one in the earth. So this was the first place in the Bible that I, that I know of where there became a, a kingdom and a real civilization that was set up. It was the place where civilization came from and sprouted from, and history would kind of call it the cradle of civilization. There was other civilizations. There was a lot of infighting in and around Babylon and the, all of these different places, but that was the great civilization. That was the place that Satan anointed to be the great civilization in that time. And Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it is even said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom in Genesis 10, verse 10, was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Now, I'm going to see if I can find the clicker, and I don't even quite remember how these slides go, so we'll see what happens. There's a, there's a depiction of the Tower of Babel. In Genesis 11, it says, and the whole earth was of one language, and they could get a lot of things done. We could get a lot of things done today if we all spoke one language. The whole earth was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east. They found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us take brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Let us make a name, lest we be scattered upon the face of the earth. They knew a flood had happened. They were old enough in civilization to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, they couldn't debate it like they would today, that a flood had happened. And they didn't want to die that way again. And they also didn't want to serve God. Now God had promised that he wouldn't flood the earth again, but they didn't even believe him on that. And the whole and lest we be scattered upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this that they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, thank you, let us go down, and there confound their language that they may not understand each other. And eventually, therefore, the name was called Babel, which is called confusion. Spiritual confusion is what it would mean today. But did you know another translation for Babylon is essentially the gate of God or the gate of paradise? Or that's what the devil wanted to name it because he wants God's worship. See, Babylon was a very sinful city. Babylon was a very scientific city. And Babylon was a very spiritual city in the wrong direction. Babylon was not a whole bunch of they, they were a whole bunch of pagans in the sense that they were not probably nearly as atheist as we are today, but they served the God that they wanted to serve. And the great God in that day was a God named Marduk. And I think there's a whole lot more. I'd love to study it more. I think it would perfectly tie to a, a Trinity doctrine today. But the history of Babylon. Now, Babylon, I wonder what's on the next slide. I'll, I'll check it out. We'll check it out together. The gate of God. That's a beautiful place. That, there was a depiction, I believe, of the, the hanging gardens, and you can see the, the, the painting there and the blue, and there's a gate at the front of the city of Babylon called the Gate of Ishtar that's got this blue, 
that had this blue and this beautiful entranceway into the city. It was a place that when you were carried away as the children of Israel from Jerusalem and you left Israel that had been burned and ransacked and you showed up here, you probably didn't think you got a bad deal as a kid. Think about it for a second. That probably looks better than home. That looks cooler than home. That looks, that looks pretty cool. These people, they have different cultural practices. They have a different way of life, and it's attractive. But let's go back a little bit. Before, here we go. So back in Noah's day, he left a, a land called Ur of the Chaldees, or God, the Bible would record him leaving, that God called him from Ur of the Chaldees. And in the path that he would have to take, he would actually go through Babylon, history would say, and then he would go on into Canaan and different places or whatever it was. So here you have Noah, and then you have, this was the first in history, the first rise of Babylon, Nimrod's day. They built a tower. Civilization would show up that ancient Babylon was an incredibly great city, and there was a king, and sorry, I hope this doesn't get boring in any way, but follow me. There was a king named Hammurabi that established the code of Hammurabi, which was one of the first legal codes in the world. And why I'm saying this was they were a civilized people. They, they had one of the first laws, sets of laws in the world. They would say an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. They even had medical malpractice laws in ancient Babylon. It, they weren't cavemen. They were civilized. They had veterinary malpractice laws. Isn't that kind of crazy? They were civilized. They had a law. They had standards. They had morals. They had ethics. And they had a beautiful place to live. This was later. The sec- or the, the other, this was another Babylon in Nimrod's time. So it was a little, this, was, this got a little better than Hammurabi's time, I would say, if I understand my history right. But then Babylon falls apart. Hammurabi, which there's some debate, maybe some thoughts on it, but some, I know there, there's, a, there's one minister in the message that would say, and I, I think I would tend to agree with them, and I, I don't, we don't know for certain, but Hammurabi was likely Nimrod, likely the same person, but there's no real, maybe strong connection. But the Bible would speak of a man named Nimrod, and the world speaks of a man named Hammurabi as a great man that founded Babylon, and he was the great man of the day. He had a code, he had laws, he had, he had a way, and he set up a city and a way of life. But Satan had come in that place. Brother Branham wanted to preach a message called the trail of the serpent. And really, I, I can do no justice to that. But what I'm trying to do just a little bit tonight is show you the trail of the serpent. Just a little part of it, maybe. And he started in Eden, and even before that in heaven. But this is one of the stops he made, and it was ancient Babylon. This was the seat of Satan. After that... There was a rise and a fall of Babylon, and then there was another Babylon that came up in Daniel's time. There was another Babylon that rose. There was Nebuchadnezzar, um, I think the first, and then the second, and it was an incredible great time, and this was where they would have a kingdom that looked like that. I just want to read for a couple seconds. Babylon was a state in ancient Mesopotamia. I think we've heard of that. Abraham came from some of those areas. This is history. history History.com. Look at that. The, the city of Babylon, whose ruins are located in present-day Iraq, 
was founded more than 4,000 years ago as a small port town on the Euphrates River. How many remembers about the Euphrates River and how it came from Eden, but it was a, way that, it was a, it was a river that Satan kind of got a hold of. It grew into one of the largest cities under the ancient world under the rule of Hammurabi. Several centuries later, a new line of kings, so it, was, it came up again, a new line of kings established a Neo-Babylonian empire that spanned from the Persian Gulf to the Mediterranean Sea. During this period, Babylon became a city of beautiful and lavish buildings. If they already had laws in the ancient time, I mean, I'm sure they had civilization this time. Biblical and archaeological evidence point towards the forced exile of the thousands of Jews to Babylon around this time. Where is Babylon? The town of Babylon was located along the Euphrates River in present-day Iraq, about 50 miles south of Baghdad. I'll show you that in a second, actually. Hammurabi turned Babylon into a rich, powerful, and influential city. He created one of the world's earliest and most complete written legal codes, known as the Code of Hammurabi. It helped Babylon surpass other cities in the region. Babylonia, however, was short-lived and, and, and fell apart after his death. The Neo-Babylon Empire was a period of cultural renaissance. The Babylonians built many beautiful and lavish buildings. Babel, the, from the, the, okay, you know what? I'm going to keep going. The Neo-Babylon... The, no, 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 sorry. In less than a century after its greatness in Daniel's time, though, we know that the city falls apart. They sneak in under, they, they, they divert the river, they go under the walls, and a new king comes into place, Darius, and it was the Medes and the Persians. And history is amazing when you look at history because it bears it out perfectly. Then the Medes and the Persians come and take over, and then Alexander the Great and the Grecians come over next. After the Babylonian conquest of the kingdom of Judah, Israel, in the 6th century BC, Nebuchadnezzar II took thousands of Jews from the city of Jerusalem and held them captive in Babylon for more than half a century. The walls of Babylon, art and architecture flourished throughout the Babylonian Empire, especially in the capital city of Babylon, which is famous for its impenetrable walls. Hammurabi first encircled the city with walls. Nebuchadnezzar II built further fortified, this, further fortified the city with three rings of walls that were 40 feet tall. The Greek historian Herodotus wrote that the walls of Babylon were so thick that chariot races were held on top of them. The city inside the walls occupied an area of 200 square miles. That's the first time I read that that way, and that shocked me. 200 square miles, roughly the size of Chicago today. Nebuchadnezzar built three major palaces, each lavishly decorated with blue and yellow glazed tiles. He also built a number of shrines, the largest of which called Esagil, which was dedicated to Marduk. The shrine stood 280 feet tall, nearly the size of a 26-story office building. You'd have to have infrastructure to build a building like that. You're like, you'd have to understand engineering. You, you're not a caveman is what my point is, I guess. You're smart. You're civilized. You're interesting. I'm sure the children of Israel weren't building buildings like that, but when they go to this land, this was a different land. This was something special. This was something that maybe didn't seem like a bad deal. The Ishtar Gate, the main entrance to this inner city of Babylon was called the Ishtar Gate. The portal was decorated with bright blue glazed brick adorned with pictures of bulls, dragons, and lions. The Ishtar Gate 
gave way to the city's great processional way, a half-mile decorated corridor used in religious ritual to celebrate the new year. You want to see where Babylon is today? Like the ruins of Babylon? So if we look up, you can see where Max came from in Ireland. If you go down, there's Africa here. There's Egypt. Israel's over here, and we'll zoom in in a second, but just giving you a full view. But right there is where the cradle of civilization came from. We'll zoom in just a little bit. I'm sorry if it's not that zoomed in, but... Egypt is there, there's Saudi Arabia, there's Iran, Turkmenistan, Georgia, Iraq, where many wars are fought and many conflicts have been had even in the last 20 years, or maybe more singular wars, but, and there is Iraq, and through Iraq, there's the Euphrates River and then the Tigris River that'll flow from, I think, up here, Turkey, that flow through, and I think the Euphrates buries out or kind of empties out in the Persian Gulf, but right in between those two rivers is this place called Babylon. I wonder if we could load up that video. You want to see what it looks like today? Here's some of the ruins that have been preserved. This is a video from 2021, a travel, traveler, travel vlogger, so forgive him for being a travel vlogger, but um, he's actually, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll start and stop in a couple different areas. I'll just, I'll highlight a couple of spots and skip other spots, I guess. Well, let's, let's try this out and see what Babylon looks like if you were to go today. What's up everyone, I'm Drubinsky, and in this video I am going to be sharing with you the beautiful city of Babylon in central Iraq. You can see behind me, it was once known as the cradle of civilization. It is literally where mankind started. There's so much to do, and I'm going to be taking you around right now. Here we go. I've been in Iraq for four full days and I'm feeling pretty settled after hitting the streets of Baghdad and exploring Saddam Hussein's abandoned palace. I'm telling you guys that this country is as special as I come and I really enjoy sharing these Iraqi stories with you. But this video is about to top everything I've done so far. My buddy Alvaro and I have arrived in the ancient city of Babylon right in the heart of Mesopotamia. Even if you don't like history, trust me, it's worthwhile to pay attention because this is the root of our human existence as we know it. Located on the banks of the Euphrates River, Babylon was a major trade hub bringing together new ideas and products in the region. For many centuries, it was the world's largest city and the first to reach a population of 200,000 people. I'm talking way back in the 7th century BC. Nowadays, everything has been left behind in the dust. Our first stop was the Tower of Babel, which according to the legend is the reason why we all speak different languages. Apparently, thousands and thousands of years ago, there used to be one common race with one language. But when the people of Babel built the tower high in the sky to reach the heavens, God rained on their parade and confused all the languages and forced people to scatter around the planet. Whether or not you believe it's true, I gotta say it's pretty special to be able to visit such a historical place. But please don't forget the present day situation. We are in the middle of Iraq where safety is our biggest concern. How did that go? We have five police escorts with us here. Dude, this is wild. You see that? 
road tripping in Iraq. Here we are. We are hiking to the old tower, which looks like it's about to fall over. But uh, doesn't this kind of remind you of Bamiyan, Afghanistan? I mean, it's, it's very, very old. It's surreal that like this place at one time was so popular and like the center of the world, really. And now yeah. it's like just like there's nothing here. Mesopotamian Empire, King Nimrod built this tower. Try to reach God. That's what the legend says. Right. Hi, Dar. How are you, bro? I'm good. Where are you from? I'm from Babylon. You're from here? Yeah, I'm from here. My childhood, my childhood here. There's so much history here yeah. in Babylon? Yeah. The Gate of Babylon, Ishtar Gate, the Lion of Babylon, the Hangi Gardens. So how do you feel that you are from? It's honor for me. I am from Babylon because it's cradle of civilization. Cradle of civilization. Yeah, yeah. Awesome that this dude is literally from Babylon, like literally born and raised here. That's really cool. I have one question for you. Is this tower the original tower built thousands of years ago? Burj Nimrud. Yani Qasr Nimrud. Over 6,000 years old. Each brick is original. Yeah. Wow. And how do you feel coming from a place like with such this like historical site? civilization. Cool. Well, we we're very. to the ancient ruins of the Babylonian Empire, which dates back to the 19th century BC. This is the place I was most excited to see on this two-week road trip around Iraq. We finally made it. We're now entering the famous Blue Gate of Babylon, the one I've seen so many times online in movies. It's right in front of me and you just really start to feel the history of this place. It's really beautiful walking through these gates and it's kind of uh, empty now, but still have these beautiful palm trees that remain and the unbelievable gates that exist here. Very, very cool. You are welcome in Babylon city. Uh, now beside the Star Gate. How Egypt. old is Babylon? This civilization King Nebuchadnezzar 600 BC, 2,600 years. The area of Babylon 10 million square meters. Are you from Babylon? Yes. How does it feel to be from such a historical city? Me, very happy me visiting Babylon. The Babylon, me. Me like the Babylon. Yeah. How much is underground in Babylon? Over 90% of the city is still underground. Oh, he's got the key, man. That's why you were here. I didn't know that. Come this place. Great. This guy's the boss, dude. He owns the place. This is part of the video. The main god in Babylon, Merdukh. The head dragon. Why? The god I live everywhere. In the sky, in garden, in cave. This uh, inscription, chloroform. Inscription? Yes. What does it say? Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, they renewed the uh, Merdukh Temple and they renewed Nabu Temple. Can you see this? The joint tar, the material tar, no cement. Yeah, check this out. What does it say? Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar. This, this is the original? Yes. Original gate, the blue yes. one. Yes, blue one. <sighs> that time, this is the street level. Oh, we're underground right now. Yes. This 14 meter. Now they discover just 8 meters. Why is there so many uh, ruins underground still? Why don't you excavate? Oh, because the Iraqi before war, war, war. Yeah, war. And you need to protect me 
activated this, take this, because you need to protect the building and this. Babylon is just stunning to see the original stone sculpture that they found here, they excavated it here, and it's just a wonderful sight to see. It's overlooking the fence, and it's just... So you get just a little bit of a view of what stands today. There was the gate, and that gate of Ishtar, that blue, bright blue gate, is, is a restored gate. It's actually smaller than what it was in, in historical times. And, but he held up that brick, if you remember, and it was kind of faded out blue. That was from the original gate, they said. And I think the city, it seems like to me that the city was much bigger still than what's the res restored Persian. But you can see it was a beautiful place. You can see it had a, a, probably a feeling when you walked into Babylon. You, you were in Babylon. I mean, you were in New York City or you were whatever it was, but you were, you were in the place, the center of the world, the cradle of civilization. There's something, there was something special about it. There was something that the devil had anointed about it. There was something that Satan had anointed about it. I show that to try to show you that Babylon was a pretty cool place. It had an allure to it. It was not just barbaric. It wasn't just, it was barbaric. You could lose your head if you didn't feed the guy meat. But it was something that was more than just barbaric That the way that we think it. I think that sometimes we get a twisted view of humans in other centuries and think they lived in black and white. And they didn't. They lived in technicolor, with, you know, 4, 4K or 8K. Today, we live in Babylon again. We live in a world that's attractive today. We live in a world that wants to pull on us today. And there's much that could be said about it. There's different parts to it. Today, we live in a not so, we live in natural Babylon, but we also live in spiritual Babylon, where in that world, they worshiped their God. And in this world, the devil wants you to worship him. In this world, the devil is looking to pull you into him. He'll build his civilizations. He'll build all of the beauty of the world. He'll build all of those things. And he's looking for worship. But Daniel lived free. He had a good job. He had a good education. He had good friends, church friends. He probably had some Babylonian friends. He knew how to speak the language. He had people he knew. But he lived in a different world because he purposed in his heart he was going to live in a different world. And that it didn't matter what circumstances that he was in, he was going to live in a different world. He was going to set himself, he, he would get up, the testimony was, and he was thrown in a lion's den for it, but I'm going to turn towards Jerusalem. I'm going to turn towards that holy city and pray out the window publicly three times a day. It doesn't matter what the world borders, what the world excitement, what the world's pull was. He was going to live free in Babylon because God could give him that freedom. I want to switch gears just a little bit, and I, I'm still, you pray for me, I, I will just take a couple more minutes still, I'm sorry. 
But there's many things that God will offer in his word for us. We, we understand the circumstances we live in today. We understand the temptation. We live in it every day. We understand the pull of the world. It's something that's around us all day, every day from this to whatever, whatever the people in, in, in person with us. But God promises freedom for us. God promises. He offers you eternal life, and he offers you the means to get it. He offers you the strength to have the desire to purpose in your heart. That no matter how attractive the world is, no matter how interesting the world is, if Daniel can do it, you can too. God is looking for another round of Daniel and Meshach and Shadrach or Hananiah, Azariah, their real names, to live free no matter what the chaos is around them. No matter what the temptation is around them, God is looking for you to stand. We've got, Brother Branham says, we've got to have a purpose of something. Now, it wasn't so in days gone by or in this day that when a man come to God, he had to have a purpose of doing it. If your purpose is to drift with the congregation or drift with, drift with the young people or, or just go along with the flow, or, or, or is it to look up to God? Is it to have a personal walk with God? Daniel, when he was taken down into Babylon, though he was taken away from his home and he was going to be a slave to another nation of people, but Daniel purposed in his heart no matter what they did to him. He didn't know he was going to be a ruler. He, could, he thought he was probably a slave all of his life, but he still from that beginning purposed in his heart. No matter what was coming, no matter what they did to him, he wasn't going to defile himself with the Babylonian sin. Oh, if we had more gallant men like that, that would purpose in your heart, if I'm a Christian, I'm going to find out every divine blessing that belongs to me and claim it. If the Bible teaches I can receive the Holy Spirit, I'm going to stay on my knees. I'm going to stay on my knees. And it's not just even staying all nighter, but Brother Ed said it so well, to say, stay in the atmosphere and keep waiting on God and keep waiting on God and keep waiting And if it's on your knees all night, stay on your knees all night until. I I think many times we talk about how the word has many promises and we have to claim the word. And and, and every promise in the book is mine. But we have to stop and think about what that means. The God of heaven, the God of all creation, the true God, wrote some words in a Bible. That's the word. And he promised something to you. He said, you can be free. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. That's one of those promises of God. He said, by my stripes, you're healed. He said that all of these promises that are real, that we have to not just put it off in the word and the promise, that's true, it's absolutely true, but what does it mean to me and to you and to the situations that we're in as young people today? What is God wanting to do for you if we would just have the faith for it? Brother Branham says, I'm going to stay on my knees till God gives me the Holy Spirit and not just drift. Not just get complacent. It's a pretty good place, pretty good civilization, pretty good people. There's some weird stuff over there, but 
Brother Branham says, I was reading old buddy Robinson's life story some time ago, and he was such a great man and a loving man and a man of faith, and he got to hungering for the Holy Spirit because the Bible taught him. And it says one day he was plowing corn, and he stopped his old mule, Alex, and got down in the corn row and said, God, I think what had happened was his mule had done something funny, and he beat the mule, and then he felt so bad and knew he was wrong. And he had been seeking for the Holy Ghost for a while. He had been seeking for the Holy Ghost. He was sick of his life. He was sick of the way he was. But this moment disgusted him one final time. This moment, he said, this is it. I've seen myself. I've seen my humanity. I've seen what the devil brings me to. I've seen those moments. In this case, he was losing his temper on his animal. And he lost his temper one more time, and he said, that's it. I'm done with this. God promised me something. I've been praying for it. I've been looking for it. But now I'm going to get it or I'm just going to die. He said, God, if you don't give me the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when you come back to earth, when you come back through this parts, when you come back to earth, you'll find my bones laying right here because I didn't get up. I didn't leave. I wasn't doing anything else until I got it. That's purposing in your heart. That's really getting to business. When you get that kind of a purpose in your heart, God is going to open the windows of heaven. Something has to take place. You've got to get to business with God and have some purpose and have some gratitude for him saving you. And when Daniel had purposed in his heart and the devil made him prove it, he made him prove it, he tested him, but we find out it stood good in the face of a hungry lion. And a man that ever comes to God and really down in his heart finds a settled faith, it'll stand stand good in the mouth of death, in the mouth of sickness, in the mouth of sorrow. It'll stand good for faith is the victory you have to overcome by your faith. Abraham, just a man, just an ordinary man, with no certain purpose in life, just with his father and friends coming down from Babylon... They settled settled in the Shinar, and when they had the tower built and so forth, one day Abraham was praying, no doubt he prayed through till he struck the hand of God. How did he do it? By faith. Perhaps he thought this, if there's a God who made the ark and let Noah float through, he still lives today. Somewhere in the land of the heathens where he was a sojourning, he touched the hand of God. And in there, God gave him a revelation that there was a city whose builder and maker was God. Not Babylon, but a real city, a beautiful city, the real great city. And we read that all Abraham's life, he was a pilgrim and a stranger to the world. For his one ambition was to find that city whose builder and maker was God. He struck something. He had a faith in God. He had caught God and had a faith. You can't purpose anything of God's promise. Oh, you can't purpose anything of God's promise in your heart without finding the reality to it. What a promise. If you really purpose in your heart God's promise, you will see the reality. Brother Branham said, there was another man down at Babylon, can remember also, and that was Daniel. He had purposed in his heart. He wasn't going to defile himself with the things of the world. That's a good stand to take. That's what people ought to take. Kind of buckle up the armor a little tighter. That's it. We're not going to defile ourselves with the things of the world. No matter what the church does, ourselves, we're going to buckle it on. We're going to stay with that word. No matter what comes and goes, we're not defiling ourselves. 
when you reach those spots where you know that there's a freedom, you know that you need something from God, you know you want to def- not defile yourself, you know you want a purpose in your heart, you won't. What's that thing that can get you over the ledge? Brother Branham talks about, in, in Looking to the Unseen, he talks about a plane breaking through the sound barrier. He talks about how as the plane hits the sound barrier and is trying to break free, and when it breaks free, there's unlimited speed, Brother Branham would say. There's a, there's a place that it reaches that is just, it's another realm. We think of our spiritual lives, we think of freedom, we think of getting to what we want to get to. But it has to break through that sound barrier. I don't remember what the exact calculation is of the speed of sound, but it has to go faster than the speed of sound. 340 meters per second. 334. There we go. 334 meters per second. When it breaks through, there's even, I believe, a, a car that they've, I can't remember the name of it now. I remember looking it up as a kid, and, there was, and I think they probably made them faster. But across the desert, it'll go, and it broke the sound barrier on ground. But when it, would, when it breaks through, when you break through, and you're free, you know that, can you imagine, if you're not free now, can you imagine what it's like to feel free? It feels good. It's something amazing. You can look back and see the, the fact that I'm free, the fact that I'm not bound to depression or lust or, or, or whatever it is, the fact that I'm not bound anymore is a miracle because I know what I was. That's for you. That can be for you where that was the last time you beat your donkey. That was the last time you did whatever you did. That was the last time Satan will say, oh, there won't be. You'll always go back. No. That's not true. When Jesus died on the cross, he died as a perfect sacrifice. Any any thought of saying that I can't overcome, I can't be free in Babylon, I can't beat the temptation, it's too strong. Any thought of that is discrediting what Jesus did on that cross. It's completely discrediting the sacrifice that Jesus went through to set you completely free. 100% free. God, Brother Branham says, God has given you your healing, whatever the promise of God that is for you tonight, but you'll fight every inch for it. Everywhere the soles of your feet sets, that I give you for possession. Footprints means possession. Start walking. Where's my freedom? I can imagine what it would feel like to be healed. I can imagine what it would feel like to be freed. Well, then get walking towards it. Put it in your mind. Put it in your thoughts. Put it in your direction and say, we're going this way. And we're not stopping because God said, everywhere that the soles of your feet set, that have I given you for possession. Footprints mean possession. It's all yours. Every promise belongs to you, but you'll fight every inch for it. How many likes a good fight, though? I think a good fight is a good fight. Let's fight. Let's have some attitude. Let's have some gumption about us. Let's have something about us to say, bring it on, devil. It's not me anyway. I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. Now, Joshua knew what God had said. He was a seed of Abraham. See, I believe that God had given us this land and we're more than able to make it, to take it. And because he stood the test against the whole group of Israelites, all the tribes, all the people moaned and cried, Joshua said, Keep still, God made the promise. No matter how big you are and what the opposition is and what the doctor said, God give the promise. It's up to God to do it. What did he do? He came down to the river of Jordan. He possessed the gate. 
Brother Branham, I believe, is preaching possessing the gate. A gate, there was walls around any city. The only way in and out of a city was the gate. Those were the weak spots. Those are the spots you had to guard. Those are the spots you, uh, you go for when you're conquering your enemy too, though. Because that's his weak spots. That's the spots where you can go in and out of his walls and you can pillage his, his, his kingdom. He had possessed the gate. That's what he did. Jericho, clo- Jericho closed up like a turtle in a shell. What did he do? Didn't matter. They were closed up. He possessed the gate. Even one day when his enemy was trying to take him, he possessed the gate of his enemy so much that he commanded the sun to stand still. And the sun obeyed him and never turned for 24 hours. God is true to his promise no matter what he has to do. Bankrupt the heavens before he would let one word, before he would let his word go defeated. He never made a promise he couldn't keep. God never made a promise in this Bible that he can't back up. If you'll believe it, if you'll actually go out and take him at his word and say, God, I believe you're actually the God of all creation. So why would I doubt that you can't do everything that you've written here? If thou canst believe, all things are possible. Joshua believed it. Though God had to stop the earth from turning, held it there by some other power, his own power, that the world never turned for 24 hours, till Joshua avenged himself upon his enemy, he took the gates. God is ever true. Brother Branham had been preaching about different ones that had taken the gates, probably Abraham, different ones. But then he, he got to Jesus. He got to the royal seed of Abraham. They were all natural seed from Isaac, but here comes the royal seed, which was Christ, Abraham's seed of faith, what we're supposed to be. So they, they had possessed their gates. They had fought. They had fought real bloody battles, real, real tangible battles, but we're in a different class. We're in a different time. We're in a different place. Maybe not class, but a different realm of people. What we're supposed to be, the natural seed was only a type. All others were born of natural birth, but Jesus came of a virgin birth. He wasn't the seed of Abraham. So that wasn't the seed of Abraham, then a Jew. I'll drop down. Watch what he did. When Jesus was on earth, he conquered every gate the enemy had. Everything that stands in your way. Everything that stands in your way. All things. Jesus possessed it. He promised it by the word. He conquered it. He conquered the gate of sickness for us. That's what he came to do. Remember sick people? He conquered that gate. You say, there's a li- well, there's just a little something off in my body. Why couldn't we just be fully healed? I say that to me. There's things where my body sometimes doesn't act like the way it should. Why can't I just be fully healed? Why do I really need that little pain in my back all the time or something? What if we reach out in faith and we get old and things happen, but it's just it is what it is, I guess. Sometimes, not all the time. But don't, don't accept what you shouldn't accept. He conquered that gate. Brother Brandon says this, you don't have to conquer it. We look at our battle and our mountain and we look at getting to freedom and we see a huge mountain. And we think, well, I've tried it before and I've fought before and I've fallen before a million times. But the thing is, if you were fighting it, it wasn't the, the, the way it was supposed to be. Jesus already fought it. Well, then what does that even mean where you say that I don't have to fight it, he fights my battles, the battle is the Lord's. What does that even mean? That means if you begin to take a step in your heart and say, God, I believe you, I trust you, I believe what your word says, he who the Son has set free is free indeed, and you begin to walk in that, 
And you might fall and you might fall and you might fall, but you keep walking in that, believing it's true. Amen. Believing it's possible. Yes. Believing it can be, it will be one day. And you keep walking in that. And you keep walking in that. And you begin to feed on the word and you begin to, to fall in love with Jesus. Amen. You'll keep walking and wonder where that thing went. Because yeah. it was God that did it. Right. And not you that did it. Not your willpower. It's not about your willpower. It's not about how much willpower. That's for the monks and the Muslims and every other faith in the world. They have their willpower to keep them living their holy book. We have God. Amen. We have the power of God, the quickening power, the resurrection power that keeps it. That's what's different between Christians and anything else. They, they, they hold themselves to a code of ethics. We have a living God. He conquered the gate of temptation by the word. And the keys, here's the keys. You want the gate to the keys of temptation? Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Amen. Brother Brandon would say, turn him down. Don't think about him. Don't, you don't, you, sometimes you don't even have to go and re rebuke him so much as just completely ignore him. You know, if there's a little kid that's annoying, you ignore him and you go, he goes away. I, I don't mean that in a bad way. We should never find a kid annoying, right? It's just like the devil. Think of him as some annoying little imp that he is. Ignore him. It says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He likes attention. He thrives on attention. If you don't give him any attention, he starves himself. He goes, finds attention from someone else. Yeah. Resist the enemy. He conquered it all, conquered every sickness. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered death and hell. He conquered what others couldn't conquer. And we're more than conquerors. Now we're dealing with a defeated enemy. If we could really get a picture of how defeated the enemy is, if we can believe it, if we can accept it, we wouldn't give him any room. Brother Murphy preached, the prince of this world has come, but he has no part in me. He's not related to me. He doesn't like what I like. He doesn't do what I do. Why would I let him have any more influence on me? Is that hard to live on Monday? Yeah. I'm human. That's hard to live on Monday, to remember that, because he's slick. He comes to us. He tempts us. He puts all of these things in our mind. But the closer you get to God, the more you feed on God, the more you'll live it. I promise you that. That's the word. The more you give to God, the more he'll live through you. Is this okay for a couple more minutes? I know I'm farther than, but... Charles Spurgeon wrote in a, in, a, in, a, in a devotional book that he has, he said, even now, though sin dwells in us, its power is broken. It has no dominion. It is a broken back snake. We are in bitter conflict with it, but it is with a vanquished, for, but it is with, it, but it is, but it is with a vanquished for that we have to deal. We're dealing with a vanquished enemy. Yet a little while and we shall enter victoriously into the city where nothing defileth. I think about how, um, you know, the devil's been to hell, right? So him going to hell is, is when he goes to hell in the lake of fire at the end, that's one thing, he's been there. What will it be like for him, because he, he, he'll be bound a thousand years by a chain of circumstance in the millennium. So he'll be 
roaming around with us in heavenly places, so to speak, but no one to work through. That's probably worse than the hell he's going to later. He's been to hell, but has he ever been stuck in heaven in a way, and he's been to heaven before, we know that too, but where he has no one to work through, nothing to do, Nothing to do but watch us praise the Lord and hang out with each other and, and be in the presence of, 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 of our bridegroom for a thousand years. Yeah. And he's bound by a chain of circumstance with nothing to work through. I like that picture. He's, he's doing whatever he can do, moving around whatever he does. I don't know. But he's bound with a chain of circumstance. Yeah. Bind him with a chain of circumstance tomorrow. Amen. By giving him nothing to work through. Whatever channel he, 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 he tries to take you in normally, whatever area you fall, don't give him a place. You'll get, a, you'll get another millennium on earth today. You say, that how, how can you have the millennium on earth? I'm not saying you can, but I'm saying that Daniel did. He slept with the lions for a night. It sounds like a lot like the millennium to me. He had brought it to that day, and I'm not saying that it's here now. But we can live in a place where the devil doesn't know what to do with us because we've given so much to God. There's such an anointing, such an atmosphere that there's no desire for the world. Do we live there all the time in our ups and downs? No. But let's try to get closer and closer and closer and closer as God builds that rapture in us. When a sinner, this is from the message, possessing all things, when a sinner can see you don't have to sin. Lots of people, they sin because they have to sin. That's a pitiful shape when you say you have to sin. But when you realize you don't have to sin anymore, when you can realize that there's people that just stand up and curse and laugh in your face and call you an idiot and everything else, they're willfully sinners. See, there's no hope for them. But when a man who does something constantly, they don't want to do it. He steals, but he don't want to do it. And he lies, but he don't want to do it. He does things he doesn't want to do. He doesn't want to be a sinner. There's hope for him if you can let him see the truth. See, come up to God's promise and lay your faith on that and walk out there to the enemy. He simply can't hold you any longer. That's all because it's yours. When a sinner can see, when we can see, when we as young people can see, we, we can be free and we don't have to do anything else. That's a lie of the devil to say you're trapped in something. You can be trapped in it in your own mind. But God calls for freedom. I'll wind down a little bit with this thought. And Brother Branham says this in the message, Shalom. Oh, he may permit crossroads. He may permit crossroads to try us, to perfect us for his service. He may permit that now, church, both here and on tape. He may permit crossroads for our service, like he did Daniel. He gave Daniel a little crossroad one day. You know, he was a great man down in Babylon. Daniel was. He did. He let the king turn against him and throw him in the lion's den. Brother Brown says it only perfected him. Let the Hebrew children go into the fiery furnace. They was determined to stand for his word. The only thing that the fiery furnace did to the Hebrew children in the end was take off the, the bands that they had had. 
Your trials sometimes are meant to set you free. If you'll trust God. He might might let you go to the very end, the the last moment. But he comes. Let the Hebrew children go into the fiery furnace. They was t- determined to stand for his word. He may permit crossroads. Let them laugh at you for having long hair. Let them laugh at you for saying you've, you've become a holy roller or whatever more, Brother Random says. It may, they may laugh at you. May they laugh at you for that or that or that. They may laugh at you for not looking or acting or being like Babylon. That's a crossroad. That's a little junction. That's to prove something. Did you really purpose in your heart? See, the only thing that the crossroad did to the, ch- the Hebrew children that stood on the word, it only loosed them from the bands they had around their feet and legs. And sometimes it takes hard trials to break the, break the bands of the world off of us. That's that, let me say that again. And sometimes it takes hard trials to break the bands of the world off of us. God help us to have the right attitude when we go through the hard trials. Sometimes God lets us have a little trial, you know, to see what we'll do, to take you out of the world, or other words, let you have a little trial and knock you out of that organization, that idea, the Methodist is the only one, the Baptist or the Pentecostal or the only group they have. If you don't believe it like my church, believe it, or you don't believe it at all. Sometimes he lets a little trial happen. Maybe you get a sick baby. Maybe something right takes place at the hour of death. Maybe someone taken from you or something. What's it to do? to break you away, to show you something, to open your eyes. Maybe you come to criticize sometimes. Maybe you're listening to this tape, Brother Branham says, just to criticize. Maybe God's doing that, to break some of the worldly bands that's got you bound down. Bound down. God will let you listen to that tape. To, I'm gonna go criticize it, and God will actually take you and catch you and change your heart, change your life. Like a drowning man in the river, you have to take the river The man out of the river before you can get the river out of the man. That's right. You have to get him out of the river first. Then you can get the river out of him. Sometimes God has to do it that way. He permits the junctions, crossroads to do that. Stand on his promises, the word, for they never fail. The future, that's in his hands. Stand like they did. Don't give away Abraham at his crossroads knew that God could raise up his son from the dead from whence he received him at the crossroads. Abraham came to his crossroad and after he had trusted God and seen all the miracles of God, 25 years he waited on a boy, on a promised son. Then God told him to go sacrifice the very thing he had waited for. My, oh my, what a time. But did Abraham stagger? Read Romans, the fourth chapter, said he was fully persuaded, amen, fully persuaded of what God had promised God was able to do. He permitted the crossroads. He was showing through Abraham to us, see, he is able to raise the dead. God is able to raise us from the deadness of our works, of our sins, of our thoughts, of our attitudes. Today, Babylon, and I'm closing with this thought, is spiritual Babylon. Babylon seems like it was maybe fully pagan pagan while they worshipped the god Marduk and they did this and they did that. But Babylon today, there's worldly singers in Hollywood and and, and all of the things that we we can look at and know it's, it's not of us, it's of the enemy. There's things of the world, we, we can see sinners, we can see criminals, we can read all the stories and know, well, they're obviously of the devil, right? But that's not where Satan's seat is. That's not where actually Satan hangs out. 
He, he, he takes the free worship. That is of him and all. But Satan's more deceptive. Cain, the, the, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, what did he do? The very devil incarnating in an animal tried to teach Eve the word. Well, God said this and twisted it in one word. Cain disobeyed and disbelieved God by doing religious things. He went and sacrificed. He was a spiritual man. Babylon was a spiritual place. They loved to worship. The world today, Babylon today, the deceptive part is not the world and the sin and all the corruption. We have to come out of that. But the deceptive part is when God wants to speak to us or, 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 or when the enemy comes to us and takes one word and twists it. When the denominations today or when the church world today thinks they have the word of their day and, and, and God's moved from that. That's so much more deceiving than the enemy that's uh, singing on a stage about Satanism. That's the, that's the enemy, but that's not really spiritual Babylon. It's way more deceiving than that. Let me say something, and, and forgive me if this is strong. They were called to go and worship in front of a fiery, or sorry, in front of a golden image. Brother Branham says that that image was Daniel. Think about that. The Christian guy, top of Babylon, and they made an image to him. We're not supposed to worship the prophet for our day. That's Babylon. We are not supposed, we worship God. The prophet for our day is the prophet for our day. We love him. We cherish him. We want to catch every word that he said. But don't worship him. If Satan can get you off on one word, now we've, we've moved past the temptation in the world. We want to go to the, you could say, well, I'm walking with God. Keep me true is the other prayer to pray now. Because if Satan can get you away, you're, you're living right, you're living clean, you're living, but you didn't make it all the way to the Holy Ghost. He won. Because you knew if Satan, could, if, if, if Satan can tell you and, and give a little twist or leave a little thing in your life or a little twist on the word that Brother Branham says this, but I think that. That's really where the deception of Babylon is. That is where it comes down to. Satan came to teach Eve the word, not to pull her away to something else. Should I keep going for two minutes or should I stop? How many knows what a creed is? We've heard it a million times. And I'm almost done. I'm just in overtime now, so I hope this is okay. We've heard it a million times preached, creeds and dogmas, creeds and dogmas, creeds and dogmas. What in the world is that? When I think of dogmas growing up, I think of a dog. I'm just being honest. I just imagine picture things, I guess. Brother Brandon would talk about the Apostles' Creed. 
And you talk about creeds and dogmas and how they'll substitute the word of God for a creed. What is that? I wish I had it on the screen, but I don't. This is the Apostles' Creed. It almost sounds good. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only, and, and in Jesus Christ, so they've just separated it, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, capitalized, Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and he was buried. He dis, this is what people will recite as their statement of faith. It's not from the Bible, though. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. This sounds pretty good, this part. He ascended into heaven, sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in God, the Father. I believe in his Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. A whole bunch of it sounds good, and a whole bunch of it is not from the Bible. Communion of saints is spiritualism. It's something that the witch of Endor did with Saul. There's no scripture for that. Yeah. One word. Yeah. That's what a creed. But what about, what about sometimes the things that we get in our own mind that isn't what was in the Bible? That isn't what God really said about the matter? I'm going to leave it right there and ask the musicians to come. I hope you get a picture of how enticing Babylon was, the place that they were called to be free from, but also how it comes right down to not out there. But one word off is the real deception. One phrase off, one line off, one thought off. God said this, but I think that. Then you're serving, at that point, you're serving a God of your imagination. Something you imagine to be God, like God, what God is. But that's not God. The enemy got your worship. This is not where I thought the service would end. But it's true. We have to stay so deadly sincere to the truth it's not so much about, someone had said this to me a, a couple of years ago and it stuck with me. John, I, I want to be less serious, all uptight and serious and spiritual and, and more sincere. Where we can let our hair down, we have a good laugh, we might have those things, we can relax. But when it comes to the word, when it comes to what's true, when it comes to all the things we've been taught, I purpose in my heart, I will not defile myself with anything of the king's meat or of the king's drink. We'll have our friends, we'll have our job, we'll have our school, we might be put up high in Babylon like Daniel. But when it comes to the word, I don't care what they say. I'm living free in Babylon because God said I can live free. God said I can live free. I wonder if we could sing that song, Come to the Well. Do, do we know that song? I, let's all stand. I have what you need, but you keep on searching. I've done all the work, but you keep on working. 
Behind. 